Good evening or good afternoon and welcome to the Sea Report brought to you by QandAholespodcast.com. I'm your host, Mr. C. And here's today's news. Alright, I hope everyone had a great weekend. This is Mr. C. I know my weekend was pretty good. It was pretty relaxing. And um, yeah, we'll jump right into the news because we've got a lot of news to catch up on the weekends. That's one thing that we can thank the weekends for is if uh, news happens over the weekends. First things first is uh, Monday morning. Which, you know, for some people, it happens to be, you know, the afternoon. We jump in head first. Trump leads the news. This one's from those fuddy-duddies over at Newsmax. Um, U.S. moves to rejoin U.N. Rights Council, reversing Trump anew. The Biden administration is set to announce this week that it will re-engage with the much-maligned UN Human Rights Council that former President Donald Trump Trump withdrew from almost three years ago, U.S. US officials said Sunday. The decision reverses another Trump-era move away from multilateral organizations and agreements. U.S. officials say Secretary of State Antony Blinken and a senior U.S. diplomat in Geneva will announce on Monday that Washington will return to the Geneva-based body as an observer with an eye towards seeking election as a full member. The decision is likely to draw criticism from conservative lawmakers and many in the pro-Israel community. Trump pulled out of the world body's main human rights agency in 2018 due to its disproportionate focus on Israel, which has received by far the largest number of critical council resolutions against any country, as well as the number of authoritarian countries among its members, and because it failed to meet an extensive list of reforms demanded by then U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. In Nikki Haley, no bueno. In addition to the council's persistent focus on Israel, the Trump administration took issue with the body's membership, which currently includes China, Cuba, Eritrea, Russia, and Venezuela, all of which have been accused of human rights abuses. One senior U.S. official said the Biden administration believed the council must still reform, but the best way to promote change is to engage with it in a principled fashion. The official said it can be an important forum for those fighting tyranny and injustice around the world, and the U.S. presence intends to ensure it can live up to that potential. That official three other familiar with the decision were not authorized to discuss the matter publicly ahead of the announcement and spoke one condition of anonymity. Although the U.S. will have only non-voting observer status on the council through the end of 2021, the official said the administration intends to seek one of three full member seats currently held by Austria, Denmark, and Italy from the Western Europe and other state groups that come up for election later this year. The UN General Assembly makes the final choice in a vote that generally takes place in October every year to fill vacancies in three-year terms at the 47th Member State Council. U.S. engagement with the Council and its predecessor, the U.N. Human Rights Commission, has been something of a political football between Republican and Democrat administrations for decades. While organizing its shortcomings, Democrat presidents have tended to want a seat at the table, while Republican presidents have recoiled it 
recoiled at its criticism of Israel. Trump's withdrawal from the UNHRC, however, was one of a number of U.S. retrenchments from the international community during his four years in office. He also walked away from the Paris Climate Accord, the Iran nuclear deal, the World Health Organization, the UN Education and Organization UNESCO, and several arms control treaties. Trump also threatened to withdraw from the International Postal Union and frequently hinted at pulling out the out of the World Trade Organization. Since taking office last month, President Joe Biden has rejoined both the Paris Accord and the WHO and has signaled interest in returning to the Iran deal as well as UNESCO. So... That's a pretty interesting story there, huh? Uh, Of course, President Select, the illegitimate president of the United States of America, is going to undo everything that his predecessor, uh, he who is still the rightful president of the United States of America, President Donald Trump, um, he's going to undo everything that he's done. And you see Trump did pull out of a lot of unilateral international agreements, whether they were trade agreements or arms treaties or what have you because uh in effect and as trump's trump stressed like the majority of the time uh we as a nation were being treated unfairly and these people these individuals um you know black hat notwithstanding uh were doing these types of crimes financial crimes or you know money crimes or just depending too much on Big Brother, the good old United States of America, Uncle Sam, to pay for their bills. Um, but ultimately, I think it's because a lot of these unilateral agreements stripped away the ability for he as a president and our legislators to defend our rights via the Constitution being underwritten or overwritten by international business agreements. And that's one thing we have to keep in mind is that if we're going to keep our constitution, we have to keep in mind that we can't allow any business agreements to overwrite our constitutional rights, which are our human rights, which are our, you know, you know, our rights, our God-given rights. Okay. So uh, this next um, uh, topic was brought to my attention by Fred T., over at the right scoop, I think uh, Fred T was really just kind of, uh, you know, passing along a, a yellow flower over to uh, Mr. Waters over at Fox News because Jesse Waters uh, had recently had a video. Oh, sorry, not a video. He recently had a segment in his show where he was talking about uh, Biden's dangerous migration policy. Um, But, you know, uh, he also went in on how Biden's migration, uh, migration and immigrant policy, uh, illegal immigrant immigrant policies, I think about three to four of which were passed in, if not more so in his executive orders uh, in regards to what President Trump has set up for uh, policy as well as, um, you know, um, procedure and implementation uh, for the southern states and immigration policy. Um, Biden undoing so, of course, as explained in the video that I saw with Jesse Waters, uh, was also, in effect, a policy that, um, you know, affected the uh, outcome of elections. Because if Joe Biden were to go ahead and, you know, uh, stop catch uh stop uh stop detention and begin catch and release and allow people into america from the southern border allow refugees in which they've already built you know um refugee camps at the border because they're expecting uh you know probably dozens of caravans of people which in effect could be thousands of individuals coming up from central america south america mexico Um, We can expect a rise in crime. We can expect a rise in human trafficking. We can expect a rise in uh, child sex trafficking. We can expect a rise in kidnappings. We can expect a rise in drug peddling. We can expect a rise in drug-related violence. We can expect a rise in drug-related crime. We can expect a rise in gang-related crime with Joe's, uh, with 
president-selected Joe Biden's policies. And um, so Jesse Waters goes on to explain how it also affects the voting policies, which is, he uses as an example, California. California, the great old blue state of California, where the illegitimate sons of Satanists reside. Sorry, don't let me get off topic. But uh, California, he, as he pointed out, the last Republican president that they had was Ronald Reagan in the 1980s. And then... Um, uh, shortly thereafter, they became a blue state until, of course, President Donald Trump flipped the state red because California did turn red in this previous presidential election and California did vote for Donald Trump and did vote Republican. It's just you guys uh, out there who are not aware, were not privy enough to have seen it, but it happened in a massive landslide, a massive red wave that turned the country red. Anyways, so getting back to this whole thing, uh, California then has a increase. He, it has an increase of illegal immigrants into its state lines. And with that increase, uh, I believe the report was anywhere between 30 to 40 percent. You then were able to um, flip the country. Sorry, not the country, but that's basically what would happen if Texas turned blue. Um, You would flip the state from um, a red state to a blue state because all of these illegal immigrants, they become, you know, workers, they become daydreamers, they become employees, they get IDs, they become citizens, basically in effect without nationality, and they can vote. And um, at 30 to 40 percent, California turned blue. Um, Texas, um, I believe, um, I don't remember if I gave a percentage on what Texas was going through right now. I think we are north of 11% though for sure. Um, but, uh, if that were, if all of these things that Joe Biden were to be doing, and then of course, uh, you know, there's that one executive order where Joe wants to create a task force to monitor or to, I, you know, basically tag and ID these, these illegal immigrants that they're bringing in and they're not going to give them national nationality. They're not going to give them, they're not going to give them citizenship, but they're going to make sure they get down their retinal scans. So this way they can track them down and make sure that they vote for them in future elections. Because, you know, um, the deep state won't have to worry about, you know, doing any kind of illegal fraud or stealing elections if they can get enough people that will vote for them across, you know, you know, country line, country border lines, and they can get them into America and they can flip Texas blue and they would get Canada, Canada. They already have Canada, my bad. They would get California. They would get Texas. They would get New York. Three of the most dense populated, uh, densely populated, uh, states plus whatever states are naturally blue. And according to the waters report, um, you know, they would easily get in two around 250 just to start 240, just to start, you know, um, the electoral, uh, um, count, uh, to presidency in the United States of America. So, I mean, it would be a shoe in And so that's the plan. That's what they want to start doing. But everything else in between is, uh, just, uh, is just a cherry on top. You know, all that human trafficking, cherry on top because we're turning Texas blue. Drug running, cherry on top because we're turning Texas blue. Kidnapping and child sex trafficking, that is a cherry on top because we're turning Texas blue. Uh, the adrenochrome fields and the uh, rape centers that they'll have out here for the children, that's a cherry on top. And the good old boys get to go back to the way it used to be. That is just a cherry on top in Biden's America. That's what he's planning on doing. Anyway, let's see here. Next story. This one comes from Breitbart. Uh, headline reads, AFL-CIO's Trumpka. Killing Keystone Pipeline a mistake will cost jobs. So this is keeping uh, President-select Biden's um, policies 
in the headlines. Let's see what's going on with this AFL-CIO, because I know something else that's going on with this AFL-CIO. This is by Trent Baker, AFL-CIO head Richard Trumka, on Sunday voiced his criticism of President Joe Biden's decision to revoke the permit of the Keystone XL pipeline, a move that directly eliminates 11,000 jobs and could affect 60,000 more. Trumpka told Axios on HBO, he thinks, uh, he think Trump told, uh, Trumpka told Axios on HBO, he thinks it was a mistake to halt the construction because it costs jobs and will cost more down the road. He added, he thinks Biden acknowledges he made a mistake. I wish Biden hadn't done that on the first day, Trumpka said on the Keystone XL pipeline. It did and will cost jobs in the process, he continued. I wish he had paired the he had paired that more carefully with the thing that he did second by saying, here's where we're creating jobs. We can do mine reclamation. We can fix leaks. We can fix seeps and create hundreds of thousands of jobs doing that stuff. Axios Jonathan Swan asked, you think Biden realized that was a mistake, that announcement? I think so, yes, Trumka replied. Trumka went on to say he does not know whether or not Biden will cancel additional pipelines, but he said if he does, that it will be paired with job creation that will be greater than the number of jobs lost. And that is some um, pipeline news going on there. So now you have Trumpka, this AFL-CIO, uh, uh, quite possibly the same one who, uh, you know, um, made backdoor wheeling and dealing scams to rig the election of 2020 with uh, the rich conservatives. Hmm... But we see that they are complaining about it. And, and, you know, and then there are other news reports, you know, as was brought to my attention by Joe One of Two, that, uh, you know, the pipeline went down in order to help um, in order to help others uh, profit from it. Um, oh, goodness. Let me see. Let me pull. Let me pull up the news article real quick. Or if it was a news article, it was a. Uh, it was uh, um, a word of advice, but 58, uh, $58 million went to Warren Buffett from the Keystone Pipeline, as reported from Joe One of Two. And uh, that's quite a chunk, Joe, just as he pointed out, that is quite a chunk um, uh, for Mr. Buffett, you know, to gain because uh, he uh, he won't be able to make money off of piddling his little trucks. And, you know, that's another thing. And I know people have brought this out about the pipes, the pipeline also. I mean, the pipeline would have run uh, cleanly run, cleanly run, you know, oil from point A to point B where we're going to be using, uh, you know, trucks and trains and diesel and coal. And, you know, I mean, I mean, coal does burn, does burn clean nowadays, but, you know, um, that's just the, the double standard, the Democrat double standard. That's what we're going to have to call it here on the Mr. C, Mr. C show, the Democrat double standard. You know, we want to join the Paris Accords and charge Americans to breathe, but we want to run oil with dirty means and, you know, increase our footprint that way. We don't want to use the most logical way to, you know, demonstrate uh, the philosophy of our uh, the philosophy of our desires and science and uh, logic. You know, their actions show so much different, so, so much different. I don't know about that, guys. That is just something else. Trump impeachment is partisan farce. Schumer would deserve to be impeached too, says Rand Paul. This story comes from Fox News and it is by L.V. Fordham. Uh, in it, it uh, goes on to talk about how Rand Paul um, 
feels in regards to the uh, impeachment farce that is going to be taking place by the Democrat Party against President Trump and says he went to the Supreme Court, stood in front of the Supreme Court and said specifically, hey, Gorsuch, hey, Kavanaugh, you've unleashed a whirlwind and you're going to pay the price. Who was Rand Paul referring to? He was referring to none other than Chuck Schumer. This inflammatory wording, this violent rhetoric of Chuck Schumer, was so bad that the Chief Justice, who rarely says anything publicly, immediately said this kind of language is dangerous as a mob tried to invade the Supreme Court, Paul said. Paul pointed out that he opposed the misguided notion of voting to overturn the election with either with Congress or the vice president that Trump pushed. Still, he said that there is a zero chance that Trump will be convicted by the Senate. People are going to have to judge for themselves. Are we going to potentially prosecute people for political speech? Paul said. Paul also said that Supreme Court Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, choosing not to preside over the Senate impeachment trial underscores its partisan nature. Justice Roberts said, heck no, I'm not coming across the street because you're not impeaching the president, Paul said. This was a strong signal to all of us that this was going to be a partisan hearing with a Democrat in the chair who's already voted for impeachment. Senator Patrick Leahy, the president pro tempore of the Senate, is expected to preside over the trial. And that, it seems, is going to be moving forward, as we all knew that it would. Um, Let them go ahead and do this uh, as we continue to eat out the sustenance of their rottenness and restore it with the fertile, beautiful um, freedom that is the American way of life and the living constitution. Um, But yeah, like I said, we reported this here on the Sea Report. Absolutely, the Democrats and, you know, everyone else is also aware of this already. But Democrats are always and have always been guilty of violent rhetoric. And yet, at the same time, they they project their violent rhetoric on others in order to move and make political headway. Um, for themselves, which is just, it's a game that they do, these liberal people. And I think it's, a, I think it's really a certain type of person that does this. I don't think it's fair to, I don't think it's fair to put this type of, uh, this type of activity on a, a political party. It's got to be a certain type of person that does this. And then these same types of people or these types of people that condone this type of activity get together and they form a political party. So that they can go ahead and continue to torture everyone with their little childish ways. Next article. This comes from discern.com. Ooh, from Jesse Swindle. Hmm. Interesting. Trump's impeachment defense team will show video clips of Dems urging violence in 2020. Ah, yes. So the story is getting picked up. And may they continue to do it that way because, um, you know, if they're going to go ahead and impeach Trump, even though he's not going to be there, because President Trump is not going to show up to a party that is, you know, rigged against him. You know, he's going to be he's going to be attacked from every corner. It's going to be a it's going to be it's going to be a vicious uh what do you call it? You know, um attack against Trump. And I mean it it doesn't even stand anyway. So yeah. So anyways, so here's a score. You know, whoever decides to go stand in for Trump or I don't know, maybe if his if his lawyers go, I guess they'll be able to be like, "Hey, check this out." And they're going to they're going to show this uh they're going to show this marathon. They're going to show this marathon montage with all of the Trump supporters. What song do you think they're going to put behind the video when they show not all these Trump supporters, I apologize. All these Democrat people. Um all these uh, Trump haters, all these never Trumpers. They're going to have a marathon montage of these uh, Democrat and liberal never Trumpers calling for violence. What song do you think they are going to play? I wonder. <laughs> 
I couldn't even begin to speculate. Let's see what the video says. Um, excuse me, let's see what the article says. Former President Donald Trump's defense team will show videos of Democrats encouraging violence and destruction in 2020 at his Senate impeachment trial on Tuesday, one of his lawyers said. The video clips are intended to rebut claims that Trump incited violence at his January 6th rally near the Capitol in Washington, D.C. When asked by Fox News' Laura Ingram about using a video montage of Democrats encouraging chaos and violence, Trump's lawyer Bruce Castor said, You can count on that. I've been looking at a lot of video over the past couple of days, Castor said. Castor said Trump's primary defense will be that the Senate lacks jurisdiction because Trump has already left office. By the House impeachment logic, they could go back and impeach Abraham Lincoln, Castor said. Those wanting to convict Trump are seeking to permanently disqualify the former president from ever holding any federal office in the U.S. again. So that's the whole point of that. But yes, that's the whole point. Yes, that's the whole point. That's a friendly reminder for you on this Monday afternoon why Trump is being impeached and why it won't work and some of what they're going to do. Trump leads here at the Sea Report. And since we're talking about some of that good old-fashioned ultraviolence that the Dems are constantly encouraging, let's take a look at some of the fruits of their labor. BLM and Antifa march in D.C. threatened to burn down Washington. So here you see, uh, you know, the BLM, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, this one is not a figment of your imagination, but Antifa, the anti-fascist organization, that one is a figment of your imagination. Those two organizations in in Washington DC in Washington DC are marching. Hello, Joe Biden President Select 1. Hello, the illegitimate president of the United States, your forefather has taken over the United States in a coup at the tail end of a rigged and stolen election. Why? May I ask, are you threatening to burn down Washington, D.C.? Did uh, President-Select, who, if you go to what, Antifa.com or BLM.com, goes to WhiteHouse.gov? Because your, because your heir Biden did not pay you what he promised? Is that what is going on? Heir Biden, I urge you, please pay off your felons and pay off your uh, henchmen so that... The Trump administration and its uh, proxy, wait, the military proxy, military proxy Trump administration can see all the receipts and see all of the people that you pay to be at the Washington, D.C. electoral vote break in breach day. Whatever. What are they going to call this now? What do you think? What do you think the liberals and the Democrats would call that? They're going to call it Breach Day. January 6th will forever known be, be known as Breach Day. It's no longer the day that we do the electoral vote count. We took out the electoral college. And on this day, Breach Day, <laughs> uh, the President-Select Congress removed the electoral college from the uh, vote counting process. Wouldn't that be... Uh, a win for them anyways. So this article, BLM and Antifa March in D.C. Threatened to Burn Down Washington, is from Blaze Media. Um, I think I pretty much said all that I want to say. It says, at one point, things escalated after a black protester shined a light into the face of a police officer who then slapped away the flashlight. The black bloc member retailed and smacked the police officer police officer then pushed the crowd back by using his bicycle the black block protester then slapped another officer the officer thrust his bike even more aggressively into the crowd dressed in all black during the tense situation a female in the crowd tells the officer to put his mask on the blm march ended with a free speech with a speech honoring eric garner according to gutenschwager and uh, let's see, who is Gutenschwager? Gutenschwager is an independent photojournalist, Brendan Gutenschwager. 
and um, he shared his videos from the protest in DC where Antifa members waved an anti-fascist action flag as they marched. Uh, yes, and uh, so this article, and there was another one that I had to share, it was Zero Hedge, I think. They both had photos from Mr. Brendan Gutenschwager, who I guess was there on the ground with Antifa in DC, um, recording the things that he saw. The demonstrators stopped near a row of restaurants where they protest leaders delivered lectures about black race, uh, black and indigenous lives to diners nearby. Oh, so I'm guessing, uh, to any of the diners, I guess, I guess they opened up the, the restaurants in DC again, but to any of the diners, they went ahead and preached to them about black lives mattering because apparently no one else knew that they matter. Apparently. Um, anyway, so it says they honored Eric Garner. Uh, the group recited the story of Eric Garner, a New York man who died while in police custody in 2014. During the story, the crowd called the police officers the derogatory name of pigs on multiple occasions. And then there were several chants of, I can't breath. Washington, D.C. has been heavily guarded since the Capitol riots on January 6th. There were more than 26,000 National Guard troops in D.C. before President-select Joe Biden's inauguration. There are currently about 7,000 National Guard members in the city providing security. ABC News reported the number is expected to slowly go down to 5,000 and they are set to stay until about mid-March. The total cost of the deployment is expected to be close to $500 million. The used Capitol building has been forfeited, uh, fortified with barricades and fencing, which many um, are calling for the structures to be removed. Uh, so interesting. So yes, um, absolutely. The Antifa are still on the move, even even through all of this. Uh, the report from Zero Hedge in regards, you know, says it's just the same typical thing. Um, free the people, abolish police, abolish prison, abolish ICE, fight the power, F the police, F the police. The police are P's, P-I-G's, pigs. There was something funny I thought about the uh, <clears throat> the article mentioned in Zero Hedge, though, about Antifa and BLM. Uh, it said that members of Antifa were present, joining up with the organizing group They Them Collective, which describes themselves as anarcho-abolitionists collective house based in occupied Piscataway land here for queer MB trans BBIPOC liberation I yes I don't know what that is but do you remember maybe some of y'all don't but um I I I've there are a lot of these weirdo anarcho communist antifa black lives matters individuals in the LGBT community and I won't be long-winded about it but I thought that was very interesting because look Antifa was joining forces with a group called the they slash them collective how funny is that like you know that's in a you know that's a um you know that's a threatening terrorist group there the they them collective dun, dun, dun. they're on the scene again it's the they them collective but no i think i think the main thing that drives groups like that these people who are probably made up of a bunch of like you know morlock looking um you know bull dyke lesbians and femme queen fantastic uh gay boys and transgendered mutilated individuals like they're all going to be they're all going to be so not your warrior type individuals but they're crazy enough to do it that's the thing like they've something's fallen off in their noggin you know and that's the reason why they're able to to create these anarcho abolitionist collectives 
with names like the They Them Collective. I mean, this sounds like something you'd see, like, I don't know, in a superhero comic book. <clears throat> Antifa and the They Them Collective. It makes me think of, like, I don't know, like the Tick, and they had, like, the Idea Men, uh, who were masked individuals that mumble talked, and I don't know, like the Mob. And they could be the They Them Collective, because they were all, like, mutant looking Morlock individuals and Momars. Anyways, so F the power, F the power, F the police, F the police. That's all that Antifa has to say. They all wear masks, of course, and that's, you know, why we wear masks, because we uh, have to wear them in solidarity for COVID-19. Anyways, if you want to go uh, hang out with Antifa, February 13th, 20th, and 27th at a DC near you, apparently, just make sure you wear your mask uh, so that you can help Antifa and the They Them Collective abolish ICE and abolish the police, because apparently the Biden... Uh, illegitimate biden administration didn't pay them for their just dues in other news this is a uh, story that we talked about for about a week now and it is uh, the sad news but this one was from an article in the epic times again this one's by isabel van bruggen uh, FBI gathers to honor agent slain while working child pornography case. And I just feel like this story is going to be developing into some more things. And I think maybe that's why it's staying in the headlines because, uh, the, this is, this is a pretty, this is a pretty, um, this is a pretty gruesome story. The FBI gathered at the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens on Sunday to honor Daniel Elfin, the second FBI special agent slain while serving a warrant in a child pornography case days later family friends and fellow fbi agents gathered at round 2 p.m for a memorial service to remember alfin who was just 36 years old when he and agent laura swatchenberger 43 were gunned down on february 2nd while serving a search warrant at the broward county home of a child pornography suspect I'm going to stop breaking into the article here real quick. Now, you have to remember, Alfin is rumored to be an individual who was working the case with the Hunter Biden laptop. So that's something to think about moving forward. I will also say of Broward County, Broward County, Florida, his home to have uh, is um, is not stranger to having uh, incidents involving crime and guns in their county. Do we remember what happened in Broward County in uh, Florida before there was a ma there was a shooting there? All right. So that's why I've said Broward County has also been referred to as Coward County. Now we see that Broward County is also the home of child pornographers and human trafficking. Now, getting back to the article. Three other agents were wounded in the incident while the gunman David Lee Huber, 55, killed himself shortly later before he could be arrested. According, uh, according to the FBI website, the shooting marked one of the bloodiest days in the agency's history in South Florida and nationally. Alfin survived, is survived by his wife and a son. During his time with the agency, 36-year-old child uh thir the 36-year-old handled child exploitation cases as well as cases involving violent crimes against children court record state alfin was born in new york graduated with a degree in information technology and completed specialized training programs for cyber crimes with the fbi after joining in 2009 so alfin was working with uh others in cybercrime and also um in a, a child pornography um busts and raids like that's the job that he basically uh, taken whenever he joined so you know that's just um you know if he was involved with the hunter a laptop as has been uh, has been said you know that 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 says something and i think that this story will be developing uh that takes us to our next article this one is an international story um but kind of follows the same path uh this is from the associated press ex-mexico governor arrested in torture of journalist who investigated his role in 
pedophile in pedophilia ring. Now it says here in this February 15, 2006 photo, the governor of the Mexican state of Puebla, Mario Marin, speaks during a news conference in Puebla, Mexico. Mexicans, Mexican authorities arrested on February 3rd, 2021, the former governor on charges that he had a reporter who investigated his role in pedophilia ring illegally arrested and tortured, an official said Thursday, February 4th, 2021. The arrest of a former Mexican governor on charges he ordered torture of a journalist gave hope to activists who believed the case could reveal the ties between powerful businessmen, politicians, and organized crime and strike a blow against Mexico's notorious impunity. Mario Marin, who governed the central state of Puebla from 2005 to 2011 for the Institutional Revolutionary Party, was arrested Wednesday in Acapulco and transported to a jail in Cancun. He is charged with human rights violations in relation to the illegal arrest and torture of journalist Lydia Cacho, who in her 2005 book had detailed the role of other powerful men in pedophilia ring that preyed on young girls. The press freedom organization Articulo 19, which is representing Cacho, said Marin could face up to 12 years in prison for the charge of torture if convicted. In a court appearance Thursday, Marin, 66, requested to wait out the process under house arrest, citing problems with his kidneys and fear of catching COVID-19 in jail. The judge denied the request, Articulo 19 said via Twitter. According to Articulo 19 lawyer Leopoldo Maldonado, there is sufficient evidence against Marin, including recorded telephone conversations. He said the fact that the judge denied his request for house arrest was a good initial sign. Marin's trial could be a watershed that cracks open the impunity pact that has prevailed in Mexico for decades, Maldonado said. Cachos, the demons of Eden, detailed the exploitation of girls and accused powerful textile magnate Jose Camel Nasid of buying girls for $3,000. Nasif sued Cacho for defamation and asked his friend Marin to have her arrested. Cacho recalled Thursday in an interview with W Radio that Marin gave the order for her to be tortured so that she would recant everything that she had published. In December 2005, Marin sent police to arrest Cacho in Cancun and drive her to Puebla. During that 20-hour drive, she was tortured. He is the first governor arrested for acts of torture against journalists, said, uh, and linked furthermore with a ring of trafficking girls and boys, Cacho said. Interior Secretary Olga Sanchez Cordero recognized Thursday that when she was a Supreme Court justice, there were violations of Cacho's rights and spoke of uh, psychological torture that endured. She added that the presumption, uh, presumption of innocence against Marin must be maintained to ensure a fair trial. Evidence gathered by Cacho contributed to the 2004 arrest of businessman Jean Sukar Kuri in the United States. He is serving a sentence for child pornography in the same Cancun jail where Marin is being held. The accomplices reunites again, now in a very different condition, Kacha wrote via Twitter Thursday. There's no more luxury parties, nor girls turned victims at the hands of the pedrists. There is no toast nor celebration. Journalism is the way toward justice. Cacho was subject to threats for years and currently is living outside the country because she fears for her safety. She took her case to international bodies when the Mexican justice system failed to act. In 2018, the United Nations Human Rights Committee recognized the violations of Cacho's human rights. In January 2019, the current Mexican administration publicly applied, uh, apologized to Cacho for her arbitrary arrest. At the time, Cacho said, we want all and each one of the masterminds on trial. For years, Marin moved freely in public despite Cacho's allegations. Finally, in 2019, a judge in Quintanilla, 
a judge in Quintana Roo State Island issued a warrant for his arrest. Lydia is very excited but conscious that the risk increases, Maldonado said Thursday. A police officer convicted of torturing Cacho was sentenced and served a prison term. But there are three more police jailed awaiting sentences and four more people who are fugitives, Maldonado said. Among the fugitive is Nasif, who is the Mexican attorney general's who the Mexican Attorney General's office located in Lebanon. Another is the former chief of Puebla's judicial police. Jan Albert Hussein, Mexico representative of the Committee on to Project of the Committee to Protect Journalists, celebrated Marin's capture, but cautioned that this piece of justice pending for years is just a step because other suspects await arrest. Cacho said experts had warned her the chances of retaliation could increase with Marin's arrest, but she said Thursday she would consider her quest for justice. Things will change if we persist, she said. So that's definitely an interesting international story I think that everyone should be aware of because after all, did we not hear that there was um, <clears throat> there was a big bus that would be going down in Mexico? Now, this would bring down essentially uh, members of Mexico's legislation that have been involved and have been basically uh, bad for the country, um, who've been not only compromised, but heavily involved in the thing itself, like uh, corrupt is the word I'm looking for as far as that goes. But something else that I'm kind of getting from this article that maybe some of you people are picking up on as well is in regards to Cacho, who is the uh, journalist that was arrested, if I, uh, if I read this correctly. Yes, Cacho. Now, Cacho was taken from uh, Cancun to Puebla and she was tortured. So for some reason that made me think of the uh, individual who was found um, and it was a woman and she had testimony in regards to being trafficked. Um, and that was something that Trump often talked about. So this is this is coming to my mind when I think about this, because you have this guy Nassif in Mexico and now he's in Lebanon. So this is international and he's running. He's running. Uh, he's running girls, you know. And we have the. Uh, chief of Puebla's judicial police involved. And then, of course, you have this guy Marin involved as well, the former governor. You know, and there have been legislative conspiracies in the United States as well. Like we just talked about Larry King in the previous C report and Nebraska and the Franklin cover up, right? So Lydia Cacho is very lucky to be alive, but uh, Marine has been arrested, and at least they're uh, at least they're doing something and still moving forward in that direction. I think that is something that we can praise as a good thing in regard to uh, the fight against human trafficking, child sex trafficking, and uh, the likes in the United States of America and around the world. In other world news, the UK won't introduce vaccine passport, Minister says. This story by Alexander Zeng from the Epic Times. The UK government will not introduce vaccine passports, but people will be able to ask their doctors for proof of vaccination if needed for international travel. Britain's vaccine appointment minister Zadim Zawi said on Sunday. The government has no plan of introducing a vaccine passport because vaccines are not mandated in this country, Zawi told the BBC's Andrew Marr show. 
That's not how we do things in the UK. We do them by consent. We yet don't know what the impact of vaccines on transmission is, and it would be discretionary, he said. Britain's Parliamentary Undersecretary of State at the Department of Health and Social Care, Nadim Zawi, who has responsibility for the deployment of COVID-19 vaccine, reacts as he walks along the street in Westminster in London on December 2nd, 2020. But he said people can obtain proof of vaccination from their doctors if they are traveling to countries that require such evidence. Of course, you have the evidence that you have been vaccinated held by your GP. And if other countries require you to show proof of, ev of that evidence, then that is obviously up to those countries. <clears throat> Last November, days after Zawi was appointed by Prime Minister Boris Johnson as minister in charge of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party virus vaccine rollout, he suggested that people may need to provide proof of vaccination before they are allowed to enter restaurants or entertainment venues. The idea triggered a backlash among conservative lawmakers and a denial from cabinet minister Michael Grove, who said he didn't know anyone in government who was planning to introduce any vaccine passports. But the discussion on vaccination passports was revived last week when James Cleverly, the Foreign Office Minister, said such documents could be provided to British citizens traveling overseas. It is often the case that the entry requirements for countries are for vaccines or inoculations, and that is not an uncommon practice, he told the BBC. We will work with international partners to help facilitate their border arrangements and their immigration arrangements. We'll have to see what countries, what the international community put in place once vaccines around the world are as effectively distributed. But Health Secretary Matt Hancock denied the government was planning to issue vaccine passports. At the moment, we have no plans for vaccine passports, and anyone going on holiday is illegal in this lockdown. Of course, we are constantly working with other countries, and we keep these sort of things under review, he told ITV on Friday. By Saturday, nearly 11.5 million people across the United Kingdom had received the first vaccine dose for COVID-19, the disease caused by the CCP virus, according to data released by Public Health England. So yes, that is from the Epic Times, if you didn't notice, because the Epic Times does call them the CCP virus, just as President Trump called it the China virus. Um, for those of you who do not know that to be true. But yes, it, it's uh, quite interesting here. So if you guys remember, you know, even as early as what was it? The Halloween show, we were talking about how Canada was talking about, um, you know, making everyone take a vaccine and then having an ID or making it mandatory, I should say. And, uh, you know, we hear tell that there's uh, people who are saying there's going to be this uh, vaccine passport. So you can't cross, you can't travel, you can't shop, you can't uh, eat out with your friends if you haven't had this vaccine done. And that's something to think about, people. If they're talking about that in the United Kingdom, what makes you think they won't be talking about that here soon? Because the United Kingdom's always at least a couple of decades ahead of the United States in, when it comes to... Uh, I mean, at least culture and fashion, I'm sure. When it comes to uh, the police state, that's the same case. <clears throat> All right. And uh, keeping Texas in the headlines before we close out the night. Or the evening, I should say. Texas working on bill to prevent big tech censorship following Florida footsteps. This is a an article written by Janita Khan. It says Texas Governor Greg Abbott said on Sunday that he was working on a bill with legislators in his state to prevent big tech companies taking action to moderate uh, user content based on their political viewpoint. 
We are working with Senate Senator Brian Hughes on legislation to prevent social media providers like Facebook and Twitter from canceling conservative speech, Abbott said in a statement on Twitter. His announcement follows Florida's move to pass legislation that would penalize social media companies that deplatform candidates during an election. The proposed law would fine companies $100,000 hairs a day until the candidate's access to the platform is restored. Florida will also require companies who promote a candidate to record such endorsements as political campaign contributions to state's elected commission. Several states are taking steps to protect the free flow of speech and prevent Silicon Valley companies from using monopoly to police speech that they do agree with. These companies have repeatedly been scrutinized for their perceived political bias and alleged unbalanced moderation of users' content. Critics say much of the company's moderation in the past year has focused on conservative speech and speech from individuals deemed supporters of former President Donald Trump. Hughes, a Republican, told Inside Texas Politics that the bill he and Abbott intend to introduce will address any unbalanced moderation of user accounts by social media companies like Twitter and Facebook. Federal law does allow us to regulate these companies, and so the bill we're getting ready to file will say that if a company discriminates against you, if the platform blocks or kicks you off based on your viewpoint, based on your politics or religion, based on viewpoint discrimination, it will give you a way to get back online, Hugh said. Google, Facebook, and Twitter did not immediately respond to the Epic Times request for comment. On the same day, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton also confirmed that his state will likely take further steps to address big tech company censorship, adding that the state has already started by filing an antitrust lawsuit against Google in December. I am so encouraged with what he's doing in Florida. Thank you. Governor Ron DeSantis for doing that, Paxton told Fox News Sunday Morning Futures. We have already started. We have a lawsuit against Google that focuses some on very issues about their dominance, about how they abuse consumers, about how they take their private information. They don't pay these consumers and then they use that information to make billions of dollars without the consumer really knowing how their private information is going to be used. So yes, I think you're going to see more from my state in the coming months and coming years because if we don't do something now, it may be too late and these companies will have such dominance and so much money, he added. Paxton took the lead in filing that multi-state lawsuit against Google, alleging that the technology behemoth had violated multiple federal and state antitrust and consumer protection laws. The lawsuit accused Google of engaging in false, misleading, and deceptive acts while the company was selling, buying, and auctioning online display ads. Trump and his Justice Department have repeatedly urged Congress to roll back liability protection under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act for companies that have engaged in censoring or political conduct. They have accused the companies of acting as publishers rather than online platforms when they engage in targeted moderation of user content. Protections under user section 230 is not intended. So that is saying a lot. That is saying a lot about um, what uh, the state of Texas is doing in order to try and get these ginormous corporations who keep censoring uh, political views um, under control. I think that's most notable to uh, most notable to um, acknowledge. Uh, what about that, guys? What about that? A company gets fined a hundred thousand dollars a day if they uh, block your account or if they ban you for two weeks because you said the word pedophile on your program. Isn't that interesting? Wouldn't that be nice? And then we get a cut of some of that because they're uh, basically impeding our First Amendment right. And uh, that's very true. But then also at the same time, this does have the power, these people who are censoring uh, politic, who are censoring political on these platforms to sway elections. Let's not forget that. 
Um, just by way of reminder, an article written by Ella Kietlinski and Jan Jaklieklek back in November called Google, Google has power to shift millions of votes through targeted messaging by Dr. Robert Epstein. I guess there are a bunch of Epsteins that are quite uh, notable, but Dr. Robert Epstein, um, he had found that Google has the power to shift millions of votes through targeted me- messaging. So to wrap up the um, to wrap up the report today, I'm just going to share this article with you guys. Just some food for thought when you're thinking about how censoring and big uh, big social media can sway the vote. Big tech companies such as Google and Facebook have enormous power to shift people's opinions and voting preferences through manipulation of the content of their homepages that users see on screens of their devices without people knowing, said Dr. Robert Epstein, a senior research psychologist at the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology in Califas. I calculated months ago that if all the Silicon Valley companies, the most powerful two being Google and Facebook, if they're all pushing in the same direction that could easily shift in this election, 15 million votes, which means they, in effect, decide who the next president is going to be, Epstein said in an interview on Epic Times, American Thought Leaders program. Epstein has conducted a large monitoring project to determine what the big tech companies were showing people in the days leading up to 2016-2018 and now the 2020 election. The project team recruited a diverse group of 733 registered voters, Republicans, Democrats, and Independents, from three very critical background states, Arizona, Florida, and North Carolina. Those field agents were equipped with special software that tracked their activity on the internet. For example, doing searches on Google, Bing, and Yahoo, Epstein explained, the software gave the project team capability to see, with the agent's permission, all election-related activities on the internet performed by the field agents, Epstein said. It was like seeing agent screens. We are looking over their shoulders using software, Epstein explained. The purpose of the monitoring was to capture ephemeral content such as search results, reminders on the Google or Facebook homepage, search suggestions, news feeds, YouTube sequences. This fleeting content can impact users when it appears, but later it disappears forever, leaving no trace, Epstein explained. Epstein has collected and preserved more than half a million ephemeral messages on Google and Facebook homepages of his field agents that otherwise would have been lost forever. And we have indeed found evidence of bias, and we've also found what some people might want to call a smoking gun, Epstein said. We found that during the week of October 26th, that's quite close to the election, only only our liberal field agents were getting vote reminders on Google's homepage, Epstein said. Among those who identified themselves as conservatives, not a single person saw that reminder on the homepage, he added. On October 29th, Epstein made his findings public. On the same day at on the same day at night, starting at midnight on October 29th, just days before the election, all of our field agents began to receive that vote reminder on Google's homepage, and that continued until the very end of the election day on November 3rd, Epstein said. Epstein explained his findings. If you're supporting one candidate, of course, you want to mobilize the base to get those voters off of their sofas if they haven't voted yet by mail. Secondly, you want to discourage supporters of the candidate you you oppose from voting, so you want to keep those people home. To influence people who are still undecided, you're going to apply the most pressure to try to nudge those undecided voters in that direction or the other. Epstein said, adding that normally in a close election, those people who decide who wins. Google's homepage has seen Google homepage is seen in the United States 500 million times a day. If that kind of reminder was being used systematically over a period of time, it affected more than who voted on election day. It affected who sent in mail-in votes. It affected who registered to vote. Epstein said. YouTube is part of Google and can also significantly impact people's opinions by suggesting more videos to watch Epstein 
to watch, Epstein said, adding that one of the videos that people watch on YouTube around the world, 70% are suggested by YouTube up next algorithm. Google did not respond to a request for comment. So that's just a brief on that article. Um, It's a little longer there, but that just goes to show that, yes, indeed, these companies, if they are not playing fair, if they are not truly being apolitical, if they are not pushing a political agenda and are, in fact, just there to make business and, you know, I guess uh, make technology better for mankind... Um, then yeah, that's fine. But that's not what's going on. That's not what we've seen the case. We've seen big tech and big social media censoring uh, political viewpoints through and through and allowing things like we talked about on a Friday on Twitter, allowing things such as uh, child, uh, child pornography to remain so that they may make money off of that. Now that is just sickening. And that wraps it up for this session of the C Report with Mr. C. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you guys later on, uh, possibly this evening, if not definitely tomorrow. Uh, I think we still have the Joe One of Two Report coming up and also uh, the Dead Truth tonight on the E6W Network for all of you fans of The Living Dead. Make sure you check out the Dead Truth Uh, podcast here on e6w all right we'll see you guys later make sure you also visit qandaholespodcast.com this is mr c for the c report signing out have a great evening Something is haunting the town. Adam Longoria has gone missing, and his sister claims she's been seeing a bad man in the shadows. Jesse Bachman confronts a terror that is haunting the town of Suval, but will he be able to stop a pure evil that wants him dead? Get the chilling new novella by Michael Aaron Cassidis, author of The Distance to the End. A trick of the eyes, a stunning new work of horror that is keeping readers turning the page. Get a trick of the eyes anywhere books are sold, online or in stores, ask for it by name. A trick of the eyes by Michael Aaron Gossadis.